Hey, Advisorist Nation, you're listening to the Advisorist Podcast, the most loved podcast for insurance and financial advisors worldwide that want to grow faster, increase commissions, and build a lifestyle you love. London to New York, Montreal to Munich, Austin to Australia. Shut down distractions, get focused, grab your notepad. It's time for Advisorist. Let's do this. In this episode of Advisorist, Matt Walton will interview one of my longtime colleagues, Adam Maggio. Adam is on a tear, and he's been on a tear, it seems like, for 15 years. Back in 2001, he started his career at the age of 21 after signing on with the largest Fortune 500 supplemental insurance company, Aflac. And after just three years, Adam rose to the top of a field of over 68,000 reps by placing eighth nationally in production. Wow. In 2007, he took on the challenge of a district manager position and within only nine months was named Rookie Manager of the Year, further being promoted to Regional Sales Coordinator. After that, he placed second in the country out of over 20,000 other managers and throughout the remainder of his 13-year career remained in that position. One of his biggest claims to fame is personally enrolling over $5 million in voluntary benefit premiums. With over 15 years under his belt, Adam is now passionate about his new platform, Enrollment. But in today's interview, you're going to hear some surprising origin stories and what makes Adam so unique and such an incredible leader in this space. Matt, take it away. Thanks so much for being here today. Pleasure. Thankful to have you. What are you grateful for today? One, first and foremost, grateful to uh, be able to give back to the community of financial advisors and brokers out there. I started off with very little and was able to make a very successful career. So having the opportunity to be brought on by people like you and being able to distribute that message. Thrilled to have you. What's been, you know, some of the struggles that you've overcome in your life and your career? Well, I think a lot of people, um, when they start, you know, getting into this type of of field, you kind of go into it and there's a lot of blocks and a lot of those blocks are, you know, family members and friends. And, you know, you start to work in that straight commission environment. Money's not really there. So a lot of times it's just really having that fortitude to believe that something will happen if you just keep pressing on. And a lot of times, you know, while your friends that are out there maybe getting their first job and, you know, making 60, 70 grand a year and able to party on the weekends and things like that, while you're sitting back and eating, you know, know, dollar cans of tuna and, and, you know, chopped beef and and doing that and just having that, just knowing that no matter what happens, if you really just keep pressing on, something will happen. In this type of career, uh, it's a very slow moving thing in the beginning. A lot of it is really getting to that second and third year where you're not, you know, cold prospecting and things like that. So just had that end goal in mind and knew one day that that would kind of change. And sure enough, as everyone was getting those, you know, minor raises from 70 to 75,000, I was doubling and tripling my income and just keeping on when, you know, things aren't so bright. How were you doing it different and better than your peers? I wouldn't say I was doing it different and better. I just knew I had two options. One was go get a job or two was work for myself. And there was just no way I was ever going to get a job and work for somebody. And it wasn't so much money related. It was just I wasn't the type of person that was you know willing to clock in and clock out. I had just left the job being a welder. No matter how hard I worked, I really just got paid the same amount. And the only way I could make more is really extend those hours. Mm. And you, know, you run out of hours eventually. So it, it was just really a matter of a study of the obvious. 
You know, most people would say I was too dumb to fail, but I quickly realized business owners make money, employees don't, they trade time for money. And what better career to get into with, you know, a three, $400 startup, you know, cost and get some company to kind of let you use their marketing and go out there and, you know, swing for defenses. So you mentioned dollar cans of tuna and beef. That sounds like you're speaking from personal experience. Oh yeah. Talk to me about that. Well, you know, you got a kind of old school style. They didn't have the zip bags. You know, you'd open that can with the, forget the name of that thing is, but can opener. Can opener. And we'd, you know, roll around that thing and it'd be dry and you'd be sucking water down, getting it down. And, you know, not a lot of flavor. You'd add a little couple things to it to try to make it seem like something else. You know, you never forget those days. And sometimes now, you know, even eating that, you know, ribeye at the Morton Steakhouse, there's just not as much as eating that dry can of tuna and remembering that flavor. So go to the supermarket with 20 bucks in your pocket and leave it as much as you can. So on your, your way from canned tuna to ribeye, what was the one piece of business advice you received that served you best? Pretty much two things. But one thing was I focused just on making appointments with business owners. I didn't attend trainings, anything I could do to get in front of a business owner, because I knew that the best way to get trained as adults that we, we learn on the job. So everyone was attending classes and knew what the color of the brochure was and knew how it worked, but they didn't have someone to sit in front of. So the best advice I got was be in front of a business owner, basically the entire day or the money hours. And then data, not drama. That was really the difference for me. So I have a really good mentor, Mark Evans, and he runs many successful businesses. And he said, look, at the end of the day, everyone gets caught up in the drama, the politics and everything. Any business can be run on a spreadsheet. Excel, you can look at it and see what's going on. And when I learned that, it's really just about the data and then all this drama out there is what the people are kind of creating. I focused on pure data. I looked at my business like a math problem. I didn't care who was doing what and what was going where. I looked at the math problem and I figured out how to fix it. And by looking at the data, what you can measure, you can manage, right? So by looking at that data, I was able to see direct correlations between all the important KPIs in our business. And I do it to this day. I manage one of my larger agencies literally with just spreadsheets. I don't focus on the people. I focus on the spreadsheet and it just tells the truth. So what kind of data were you measuring uh, when you first started? Your data changes as you grow your business, right? So in the beginning, really, we were marketing directly to business owners. So in the beginning, the first data I was measuring was contacts, right? And then I was measuring contacts to set appointments. And then set appointments ran to yeses or noes. And then set appointments ran to, you know, yeses or noes. Did we actually close the case? And did we actually write the business? And you quickly saw that this formula, it doesn't like sexy or anything like that. It just really worked. But as we started to go on, and one thing I think a lot of people do wrong in the beginning is they even just focus on those appointments. A lot of times it's not about the appointments. It's focusing on how many hours, how many hours are you actually doing, right? The data will change. And today the data is much different than it was you know, years ago. But I think those same sheets that we've used to grow the agency What's nice is you could take those sheets and give them to anybody. The problem is not everybody believes in it, right? What is the biggest difference in data sets from back in the day to today? Today, I'm focused way more on revenue than I am on getting any single client I can get my hands on, right? Because in the beginning, you want to take whoever you can take on just because you need business and you want to get on a leaderboard. Today, I actually reverse it. I I try to isolate who I don't want to do business with. Mm. Every year, I fire about the bottom 30% of my clients. And by doing that, it really elevates the clients that I do want to work with. And by doing that, the people that are coming on board, it's a lot easier to work with them because I've put so many roadblocks in front of them about who I'm willing to work with instead of just kind of, I call it puking on the office table in front of an owner. You know, a lot of people will just do anything to get the sale. But the reality of it is if there's an issue with them paying other vendors, 
right? It's probably going to be an issue with paying you. Mm. One of the big things that we do now that I think would help tremendously is instead of them asking us for references, we ask them for references. We actually ask them, can you name three vendors that you do business with that we could call on? Because we want to make sure that they're going to be doing what they said they're going to do. It's a little bit of a spin. You'll close less business, but the quality of the business you're going to close is going to go up. I imagine that's exciting advice to hear for young advisors who are out there, you know, not puking on tables, but in a way, looking forward to the day where they can fire clients. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If I could do one thing in the beginning different, I would have fired clients. It's just, you don't have that mindset, you know, when you got to pay the cable bill, you'll do something. You don't care if they, you know, don't pay the bill or whatever it is. Now it's, it's completely different. So if your life was a book, what would the title be? Well, that didn't work. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Everyone, especially in this day and age of social media, it's, it's a crazy thing. No one broadcasts failures, you know, and they just seem to think that, oh, this person here just seems to hit a home run every time they swing. Let me tell you, there is a million and one things that I have failed at. Some I'm not proud of. Some have cost a lot of money. Every single time I've made those mistakes, within three to six months, I would literally would come out and say, oh, that's why that happened. Is there one example you can think of off the bat of a humongous mistake that taught you one of the biggest lessons? Yeah, um, I had my whole agency wiped out in uh, Hurricane Sandy. Um, I don't know if you remember back in the day, I'm Central Jersey. Roller coaster was in the water. Half of Manhattan, lower half of Manhattan. We were out of gas for two weeks. Yeah, Yeah, it was terrible. I, uh, I lost everything. I mean, literally, I was working for a company. They had flown in. My office was six feet covered in water. We were working with small business in middle central Jersey and small businesses. They didn't have payroll slots because they didn't have buildings, sure. you know? So right overnight, literally, I lost, you know, basically 75% of my company. I wasn't able to maintain in numbers and things like that. And it taught me a very quick lesson. And that was really shifting from a single carrier model to really more of a true multi-carrier model where I wasn't relying so much on like one source of revenue and things like that. And it's funny because, you know, what could take 13 years to build can get wiped out in one shot. But within nine months of putting everything back together, I was double where I was at. So, you know, it's very easy to rebuild once you've done it. And I think that gives people confidence. Most people don't get to that point, though. The title of your book is, well, that didn't work. What theme song would you use to go with that? Juicy, Biggie Smalls, um, <laughs> back in the day in the early 90s. Real big right now on a new artist, Sasha Prendez. She's got a song, Brooklyn Out. It's about just getting into a new environment and kind of having that happen and what happens to you. Juicy, for obvious reasons, if you haven't listened to it yet, I would recommend that. A lot of it for me growing up in a small town, This is I was doing this all in a very small town, rural area, but really getting into places like Hoboken and Manhattan and things like that. I mean, my eyes just blew up. It was just like, okay, now I'm the small fish in the big pond. Let's roll, you know, so getting in those new environments, I wish I had done that earlier, but you know, it's all a good lesson. All right. So you grew up in Forked River, New Jersey. Yeah. Boating community. Do you have a favorite local restaurant? And if so, what do you order every time? Oh man, it would be boating. So we would get off the boat, we'd get a Corona, we'd get some clams, maybe some oysters and some cocktail sauce. Up here, I'm a big, uh, I've been eating a lot of pho, some Vietnamese food mm-hmm. now. Yeah, definitely the Corona's in the summer with the, uh, with the clams and the, uh, the oysters for sure. So advisorist, we're pretty big on giving and we're wondering what's the last gift you gave someone or gave yourself? Believe it or not, I don't really, in the beginning, it was all about the watches and the Escalades and things like that. And they're fun, but I think they kind of actually depress me. When you have a goal where it's something like that, you get it and you're like, oh, okay, great. I've been focusing a lot on giving back. Um, this year, I was had an opportunity to donate bikes to kids I didn't know in Ohio. We donated, I believe it was about 35 to 50 Huffies just so they could get to school. I do a lot with kids with cancer and I'm looking to kind of help uh, 
let's some of the younger generation just really start to learn from people that are actually doing stuff rather than, you know, some of the stuff where I was the guy that bought like the Zig Ziglar tapes and things like that. But I don't think a lot of people know that and are stuck listening to maybe not the best advice, you know, from Uh friends and maybe even family. So I'm focusing a lot more on that. It's one of the only things that really makes me feel good. And uh, it's, it's just impossible to outgive the world. So. So speaking of Zig Ziglar, we have some exclusive Zig Ziglar content here at Advisorist. Right. What's your favorite Zig Ziglar quote? One that I didn't understand in the beginning, and I might screw it up a little bit, but it says something along the lines of, uh, if you help everyone else get what you want, or if you, if you help everyone else get what you want or get what they want, you know, inadvertently, you're going to get what you want. And I didn't realize that in the beginning because it was all about me, 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 me. But once I started building a team, it was literally just, I mean, we skyrocketed and it was everyone, you know, kind of getting what they wanted and by a byproduct of that, I got much more than I ever thought ever I was going to get. So I'll go a little bit more into that. What was the event you're speaking about? So I was a producer for a company called Aflac, a Fortune 500 company. As you can imagine, it was back right when the duck was coming out. And I was 21 when I started. 21 to 23, I put in 16, 18 hours a day. I never was scared about being the hardest worker in the room. And then uh, I remember sitting at, a, at one of the meetings they were at, and I, I, I didn't even understand what management was. I thought it was like some college degree you had to have and all this. But someone uh, stood in front of that room and they said something along the lines of, you know, if you want to build an organization that'll work when you leave for a month, you know, you need to start recruiting salespeople. And I tend to go overboard when I hear of a new concept, but I got to tell you, it went from me. So within nine months, we were doing about $1.6 million in sales with about 30 people. And then I got to the next year and we grew, uh, we grew to about 125 people. I was interviewing roughly about 100 to 150 people a week. Wow. And I did that for seven years straight. And ultimately we grew the second largest organization in the company's history. You see, you still keep in touch with your family? Yeah, of course. Are they um, still in Jersey? Uh, most of them, yeah. Absolutely. Who are you closest to? Ooh, that's a tough one. Mom and dad wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be too proud. Um, no, I'm actually very close to my mom and dad. Um, they were both there for me in different ways when things weren't going so hot. They never ever once, you know, kind of gave me the old straight commission. What are you doing with yourself? They supported me a hundred percent. They just saw how hard I was willing to work. So definitely in touch with them. We've had uh, they're divorced, but they're two completely separate people who I deeply admire and respect. And they didn't have a lot. You know, not a lot at all. And, you know, my mom was working two jobs at one point and things like that. So a lot of that was that inner why. Like, what, how am I going to change this? What was the moment in your life where you felt they were most proud of you? That's funny because they'll tell you to this day, it's today. Where I, I think they felt the most proud of me was when I actually started to buy a suit and get on a stage. <laughs> I never went away on vacation. I was young, never been to Florida. We've been camping in little places like that, but I'd won a first company trip to Key West and I'm like, wow, I don't even know what the plane feels like or what it's like there, but getting ready for that trip and you know, actually being in Key West and quite honestly, seeing a bunch of people that are a heck of a lot less talented than you making five times the money of you. It was like the one thing that just like, I have this, you know, but uh, yeah, I'd probably say that first trip because that's, you know, it's, your first one. So while we were talking, I noticed your phone's been blowing up there. What's the one app on your phone that you can't live without? Uber. Yeah? A hundred percent. Better than Lyft? <laughs> I don't get too caught up in Lyft. I only use it if I have to. Definitely more than I drive. A hundred percent. Simple, easy, get in, get out, go. I believe it's going to be the future of, of just any type of travel. Or what if you have to fly? 
So I have a, a, an app called Jet Smarter. I know that app. You know that app? Private Jet. Yeah. So you are doing pretty well. Doing well. <laughs> that's, that's great. I, I love it. It's uh, on demand pretty much 24-7. You hit a button in the phone and you can go fly private. You know, in certain instances, a lot of time is money, as we know. Sure. And being around a major city, um, you can get to Florida in an hour and 20, 30 minutes, maybe tops. So uh, I like to call it an investment, although it's a little bit of one of those things where you just want to you know, use it a little bit more than you should. I do still fly, you know, I do still fly first class, obviously, but I love using that app and um, I use it quite a bit. Even so, Susie Orman says the one indulgence she, she spends money on is first class travel. Every time I'm on the uh, I'm on the plane, the private one, I've always made deals because other people on that plane are obviously, you know, very successful. Pinpointing a target. I can't think of a better environment. Yeah. Everyone's lightheaded, the drinks are flowing, and deals are probably being made. I've yet to spend money in areas where I haven't made it back, even though it could seem like a, a spend that you shouldn't do. See, that's I think that's excellent advice you're talking about. You have to spend money to make money. Things like, that's something I didn't even think of with the private jet app. First of all, it's not so expensive that it's unmanageable, right. especially if you're a good business owner. Second, the people you meet, that didn't even occur. It's 100%. Yeah. How about that? Yep. So one of the core values we always talk about is constant and never-ending improvement. Cannot. Sure. What are some of the tactics in that space that are working for you right now? Boils down to four things for me. Family, faith, finances, and fitness, right? So I don't try to get when I'm young, you know, when you're younger, you focus on the money, right? I think as you get a little bit older, you realize money's one thing, but if you're not improving consistently in all these areas, something's going to give. For me, for a while, it was health. You know, I was doing really well, getting seriously overweight and things like that. I was miserable. So right now, um, a lot of the things I focus on are really the health side of things, the business side of things. And what I mean by that, I have a service that literally makes meals, packages meals, ships them to my house. I don't have to think about what I'm going to eat. Just eat, go, boom, healthy food. Don't have to go to the restaurant. That For me, that is a number one priority. Business-wise, uh, believe it or not, I attend conferences outside of my industry. And by doing that, it's helped grow business, you know, my personal business a lot more than it would be if I was attending conferences inside my industry. For example, what's one that you hit? A marketing conference was huge. Go out and you learn a little bit about direct response marketing, and then you see a void in your current industry and, and, and that. And uh, there's people marketing it within your industry, but really understanding the subject you know, from people that are doing it is a big, big thing for me. So I've done that. I've joined a lot of high-end masterminds, getting around people that are doing, you know, 10 to $100 million in sales. That's the craziest um, thing you ever did on a mastermind. Sat next to someone that's doing $100 million in sales and, you know, owns the plane, doesn't doesn't rent it through JetSmarter. You just learn that these are just normal, everyday people. They just got into a little bit of a, you know, they pushed hard long enough and they got into something that they were able to really just use their talents and grow. So... Any other secret sauce methods that you have that that are working in today's economy? I'm big on social for a lot of reasons. Um, LinkedIn uh, for for this crowd is huge. I don't think people understand the impact of it. You understand a lot about marketing. You understand that when someone, everybody's going to look your name up, right? And the way that Google works, there's only a certain amount of spots on the first page. And a lot of those spots are are not owned, but a lot of those spots are going to be your Facebook, your Instagram, your LinkedIn, your Twitter accounts because of how much value they have. So one of the big things for me is I took a lot of time to deeply understand social media. And Gary Vaynerchuk, I'm sure you, you know who he is. It was jab, 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 right hook. You see everybody just pitching, right? I do the complete opposite. Give value, give value, give value. So when I give value, people naturally come to me. And the larger you grow your audience, when you put that value out there, that works around the clock. If you do have a members area, what I would suggest is we could talk about the technique on LinkedIn. It's just very basic, but it works, you know, 
very, very well. And that is this, that is when you're on LinkedIn, right? They give you the ability to see who just viewed your profile. So if you are putting something out there that's content, that's going to draw somebody in, that's your ideal client, and you know they just viewed your profile, I literally shoot them a message and say, hey, saw you viewed my profile. You have five minutes to get on, actually say eight minutes to get on the phone to see if we're fit. And 80% of those people are still online. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah, of course I'm not. At, and it's not like uh, you're perceived, you know, whether or not, you know, you're the expert, you're the subject matter expert. And they say that, you know, video, especially now, there's no difference really between sitting and talking to someone or them watching video. I'll go out places and people, hey, I watched your video. And they feel like they know you already. In show business, we learned that uh, one of the reasons I used to do soap operas, right? And so the fans were pretty obsessive. The reason is you're literally in their living room in terms of what their brain can comprehend. You're, you're in their living room every day. You feel like family to them, which is why celebrities feel so familiar to us. Absolutely. You, you know, you think that the friends from the show Friends live down your hall. You know, what I mean? and that, that same thing is happening with the YouTubeization effect. Why kids are watching YouTube instead of produced shows because it feels like they're hanging out with you. Yep. And so you're saying that the, the, the videos you've made have come back around. People say, I know 100%. You, you've been in my living room. 100%. So another core value here at Advisorists is what we call drop the honey. It's how we make every interaction, every business deal, every negotiation sweeter. What are some of the ways you drop the honey? So I, I call it the mafia offer. Something where you're literally removing all the risk. Right. So, I mean, there's a million and one ways you can position it. But for instance, you know, in my business, we provide a service that's of no cost to the employer. I don't go in there saying there's no cost to the employer. I go in there and I give them how much it would cost to have this done. Right. And then I'll pull the mafia offer and say, look, if you can get this going in the next three weeks with us and allow us to do all the work, we'll drop it down to. And I use a lot of visuals. Zero dollars. Right. But that's only if you make a decision today. And if they still hesitate, I say, look, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a thousand dollars if we don't perform. Right. So what you're doing is you're just making that irresistible offer that in every industry is a little bit different. You got to get creative with it, but you have to eliminate every single objection that's in their head that you know is already there. I call it the pillow talk. What's keeping this person up at night? And if you can get in their head where they're already at and tell them their problems, you don't have to sell. They know. So if it's an HR manager, it's one thing. If it's a CFO, it's another thing. And it's a big, big thing. Any hacks, any, you know, I know you were talking about physical fitness before. Is there anything that that's universal, a, a business hack or a physical hack or something that, that pollinates your whole life? I say, you know, create your schedule and honor your schedule. That's really the number one thing. Most people will schedule an appointment with a doctor and keep that appointment. But if they schedule an appointment for prospecting, right? Mm-hmm. They tend to, oh, I got something else to do. They'll keep an appointment with some a perfect stranger, but they won't keep it with themselves. And I think that goes into all facets. So every day, you know, when I look at what I'm going to do, right, it's already in there. And those appointments with myself are more important than the appointments, you know, with the doctor or with the dentist, because I have to keep them. And that's what really keeps it on track, whether you're scheduling your meals, whether you're scheduling your money-making you know, activities, time you're going to dedicate to your family is important. Schedule that all in and honor that schedule and grade yourself right at the end of the week because we're not all perfect. But every single time I've mentored somebody and they've been having issues, the first thing I tell them to do is open up their schedule. And there's two things that happen. One is nothing's in it. Or two, if stuff's in it, it's the wrong stuff. Or three, they didn't grade themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, And if you're not honest with yourself, who the hell are you going to be honest with? You know, It's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people, but there's really no secrets. I mean, it's fundamental. Yeah, fundamentals. It's always going to win. My favorite question to ask is, 
tragedy strikes, heaven forbid, but you lose everything. Yep. All you got left yep. is your laptop, yep. $500, yep. your insurance license, mm-hmm. you 30 days. Mm-hmm. How do you reboot your business? How do you reboot your life? Probably seven to seven. I would be knocking on doors of business owners from about seven at night to two in the morning. I'd be using social media and planning the social media. And I would do that for 30 days straight. 30 days, you will have more appointments than you know what to possibly do with. And that's all you need is a Starbucks and literally live out your car if you need to. Anything else? This is soapbox time. Anything you want to get out there to the world, let them know. uh... If there was this one thing I can say, I hate to say because it's so cliche, but if I can do it, you can do it. You know, I'm literally no one special. It's not like... Like I reinvented the wheel. It's not like I came from this Ivy League school. It's not like I I had probably every disadvantage that you could have. And certainly there's people in a hell of a lot worse spot, right? And there's a lot of people that are in a lot worse spot than people right now that are complaining. It's just be grateful for the opportunity, right? To really get up, walk on your own two feet and be able to create a business out of thin air. A lot of places out there in countries, people don't have the ability to do this stuff. You know, so if you have the ability and you don't do it, you know, it's shame on you. Thanks so much for your time. Absolutely. I appreciate everything. Nice to meet you. We'll see you back next season. You got it. Have a good one. Hey, Advisors Nation, are you ready to take your insurance or financial services practice to the next level? And are you prepared to fill your calendar with high quality appointments and bring so many leads that you get to pick and choose with whom you're going to work with? If yes, then be sure to check out Advisorist, a premium members-only community of insurance and financial advisors who are striving to excellence. Inside this community, you'll learn the strategies and tactics that most successful service providers are using, and you'll be able to implement them and see results faster than you ever thought was possible. Get all of the details here at advisorist.com forward slash membership. That's advisorist.com forward slash membership advisorist.com forward slash membership. We'll see you inside. You could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. You could fly higher than the sky, shine brighter than the stars. You could have all you ever wanted. Shoot the moon and reach for Mars. You know you could.